Alrighty, hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. And Happy New Year, Peter. It's your first time uh, for on here for 2023, so it feels a bit weird to say Happy New Year because it's on today's February 1st, but uh, that's where we are. And uh, yeah, so... but it, it, it takes time to get used to it. So January for me is always <laughs> still a year prior. So now it's true 2023 by the time February comes around. So thank you. I'm enjoying <laughs> it thus far, or will when February comes. <laughs> that's right. We do record in advance. Uh, I was going to ask you about still writing 2022 on your checks, and, and then you're going to say, what's a check? And, yeah, uh... I, I am a little curious what you're referring to there. <laughs> no, I've act this year, this year, it's the only year ever where I haven't done that. I've been put into three. Oh. So I'm, very, I'm very proud of that. That was my New Year's resolution, to never write 2022, always 2023. Get I'm it, doing it thus far. Get it right the first time, as it exactly. were. Exactly. All right. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new science fiction horror slash internet sensation, Megan. Or as Tim and I were joking off air, M3 Gan. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get the three thing. It's weird. Oh, well, it was, we, maybe we were watching a third, third, <laughs> third of a trilogy or something. <laughs> Well, it will be explained in the review because I did catch why it's M3 Gant. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Megan is in a theater near you still, and you can uh, now rent it on premium on-demand services as well. If you want to, if you don't want to leave your house, uh, Megan will provide. But that's in the back half of the show. For the first half, we're going to talk about some mo- movie news from the last week. And there was no bigger movie news last week than the announcement of the 95th Annual Academy Award nominations. Five years till Big One Hundred. Mm-hmm. Wait, is it? <laughs> That's wild. That's special. Yeah, it's, special it's, times. It's an it's the ninety fifth ninety fifth anniversary. Oh, ninety fifth. I heard you 95th. say hundredth. Ninety fifth is nothing, but that's still cool. I'm excited. Well, I said the hundredth is in five years. It's we're, we're closing in on the big one. Half a decade. That's true. We're at a countdown now, which is sweet. <laughs> we're at a countdown. Okay. <laughs> um. So. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the nominations. And uh, Peter, do you have any overall impressions about the Oscars, uh, whether it's the nominations or expectations for the show or anything before we start uh, going through the nominees? I, I was a little disappointed with some of the works that they left out. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say dominantly, um, nope. I personally really uh, like nope. So I was uh, bummed with that. I thought it was, uh, especially because I think us was too and get out was and get out deserved it us was okay no better than us in my opinion so i just think it's uh it doesn't really make any sense that it didn't even get a small like best screenwriting or anything like that it was just such a strong structured film you know Mm -hmm. uh so that was i would say my main disappointments Mm -hmm. how about you uh, I mean, there's. It is kind of disappointing that after two years in a row of a woman winning Best Director, there's no uh, female nominee in the Best Director. Op- and we're going to get there when we talk about the Best Director uh, list. Um, I have a personal disappointment that Mia Goth didn't get a Best Actress nomination because I 
I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, she, she like pumped those like two or three great films, right? She could have gotten the noms for, her, but uh, yeah, nothing there. I mean, it's just it's related just the... to horror, even if it's like close to that genre. It's you know, I guess not allowed. I don't know. Blonde got nominated. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, um, you know, it, it, there are some, and again, we'll get into it when we talk about the nominations. There were some like big swings in the nominations like a lot of surprises so you would think that you know maybe they could throw in a mia goth for pearl uh well, there's some, alas. Yeah, really like not objectively not great films like babylon that got you know four or five um and even though it was a good film i think the fablemans really they went to town on the Fablemans. Yeah. yeah. spielberg's already had his days so um again though the Fablemans. A great film i just don't know if it deserved to have the extensive amount it did uh mm. i also i do think it's kind of strange that elvis got everything but best director i mean mm. like i understand there was some flaws in the structure but i don't think enough for him to not deserve that i i do think baz lerman deserves that even with it's just he's the director of Elvis like he directed mm. the Elvis part is amazing and he was the director of that and the mm -hmm. visual was objectively great you know so mm -hmm. I was a little disappointed there but. well I'm going to read some statistics about the nominations this year uh, Michelle Yeoh is the first Malaysian woman nominated in Best Actress and the first ever Asian identifying woman to be nominated as Best Actress so chew on that uh, Hong Chow and Stephanie Zhu, um, both nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, so that's the first time two Asian actresses were nominated in that category in the same year. Um, and then uh, Kehu Kwan's uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination is the first time that Asian actors were featured in multiple acting categories. Uh, Angela Bassett is the first person to receive an acting nomination for, in, uh, for playing a role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All Quiet on the Western Front is the 15th Best International Feature Film nominee to be nominated for Best Picture. And boy, uh, has that come out of sort of the the backfield to sort of seize all the Oscars. Um, tied for third with nine Oscars with Elvis. No, with um, tied for second with um, with uh, the Banshees of Inishirin. They've each yes, got nine. Right, so right. that's... Uh, that's 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 out there. Uh, John Williams, 90 years young, the oldest competitive nominee in Oscar history. This is also his th 53rd nomination, breaking his own record. Who? Who's sorry? John Williams. John Williams. Jeepers Creepers. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm curious if at that point it kind of doesn't feel great. Just like the ability <laughs> like, to get that amount means you've you've been around for a while. I gotta fit myself in that freaking tux again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Uh, the ceremony also has the most non-American acting nominees in Oscar history with twelve. Um, See, so yeah, this year there's a lot of flaws, but I would say more positives than last year. So mm. I would say they've progressed overall, but mm. uh, I did enjoy some of the new additions, like you said, the first. Um, uh, lead actor who's an asian actress right mm -hmm. um so that's good i guess focus on the positives but judd hirsch uh who was nominated for five minutes of the fablemans uh so first actor received two nominations four decades apart um do you, is do that you know... enough time isn't there like rulings behind it is is for supporting actor five is is good i don't know if it was five exactly but it felt like five minutes okay but 
Do you know what movie he was previously nominated for? Um, a, a Quiet Play or... No, I'm not sure. Which one? It's Ordinary People in 1980. Ordinary People, yeah, right. Uh, Jamie Lee... Quiet. I met uh, A Beautiful Mind because he was in that, I believe. Judd Hirsch? Yes, I believe. Yeah, right. yeah. But I don't think he was nominated for that. Um, well, I know he wasn't. I just read the th- freaking statistics. Um, first time in 88 years... Uh, all the best actor nominees are first time nominees uh, for the first time in 51 years. Um, both supporting actor and supporting actress categories feature a double nomination for one film. And uh, there are 16 first time Oscar nominees in the four acting categories, which is the most amount in Oscar history. So, well, I guess maybe since since the first Oscars, because everyone was a first time nominee at the first Oscars. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So this is the second time. Nothing special. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the nominees themselves. Uh, for Best Picture, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fableman's Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. And also, I think this is the first time since they changed the w- rules that they pushed it to 10 nominees. We get 10 nominees for the for best picture for the first time since they changed those rules honestly personally i thought 2022 was a great year for film so i think it's mm-hmm. i think it's okay they did that i don't know if that was the reasoning but uh i could literally see them having a difficult time picking in uh eight or uh you know anything below 10 yeah i think i think it was pushed i mean there, there are there's like a point system if i remember correctly in terms of how it's determined how, if they can go from nine to ten but I think it's personally to accommodate both Avatar and Ta- and Top Gun, being the the two highest grossing movies. They are also being pretty good movies. I haven't seen Avatar yet, but it seemed to have a good critical response. Um, Top Gun Maverick is a lot of fun too. Top Gun Maverick is uh, amazing. Yeah, I was very glad uh, the Academy was able to overlook how much Moolot made and still put it as a best picture. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't think they wanted and to also overlook. being Tom Cruise. You know? I, yeah. I, I was very happy. I wasn't expecting it at all. I, I thought it would be more like hustle, just like a lot of people thinking possibilities and they just didn't get anything, but no, it's uh, it lucked out. Good on you, Cruise. I don't think they wanted to overlook the money at all. I think they wanted to put these on here because I mean, yeah, that's been the more views. Yeah, the criticism of recent years that, you know, movies that make the most money don't typically get the most Oscar nominations or any. So I think this is this is going to test that assumption. Like, can you put the two biggest movies of the year up for Best Picture and get people to watch to, you know, to sort of root for um, the populist favorites? I mean, also, Everything Everywhere All at Once was um, for a... Indie movie was very successful. It's the most successful movie that A24 has ever released. Also, Elvis is no slouch either. Elvis was a pretty big movie too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah sorry. I shouldn't have overlooked it. It it made like I think near 200 million. So not uh that's still that's a lot. That's a lot of money for sure. I would say this time last year that's more money I would have assumed that a nearly 3-hour movie about Elvis Presley I would have thought had made. Mhm. <laughs> uh but I digress. I'm also uh, I'm also glad for best picture that there is at least um uh women talking has been included DD Gardner's mm-hmm. work so mm-hmm. um I still I you know what am I glad about that that's one one out of uh, 10 right but uh, <laughs> there's been years where there's no female uh, uh made films at all right none by a, a woman director so 
What's interesting though is, I mean, in the dark horse chance that Women Talking wins, it, uh, Frances McDormand would win her first Oscar for producing. <laughs> That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just I thought I thought that was interesting. Um, so best director Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Todd Field for Tar. Martin McDonough for Banshees. Ruben Ostland for Triangle of Sadness. That was kind of a wrench thrown in the works. And then Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. And yeah, I to, to attach myself to what you said. It it I think Steven Spielberg has sort of become. The Meryl Streep in the director category for he releases a movie and it's pretty good, he gets a nomination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm a bit more I'm okay more this year than I was. I don't even remember its name. The Tom Hanks one, Russia, the Russian one, I think it was about the Cold War. Oh, Bridge of Spies. Yeah, that was just not a great film. Whereas uh, I do think the Fablemans is like objectively a great film. Bridge of Spies is uh kind of a dark horse favorite of mine. I yeah, I, okay. I do like it. I like uh I like the I mean I recognize that it's essentially two different movies stapled together but um <laughs> I I do love the the Rylance Hanks um interaction in that movie. Um but again that that's just that, that's my personal taste. Yeah, I I was looking at potential substitutes like to get a, a female nominee in there and obviously Sarah Pauly cuz she you know she makes the cut uh directing a best picture nominee but doesn't get best mm -hmm. director consideration there was also like maria schrader if she said i haven't really heard a bad word about she said um charlotte wells for after sun and we'll get that in, into what a best actor race but you know after sun was good enough to get a best actor nom for the for the lead actor there um or here's like a, another dark horse uh Shinoin, uh chikuo of uh who directed till um that would have been an interesting choice too but. Yes, uh, most people. That's the one that kind of stood out to me. I thought it was strange it didn't get a uh, a single one. I think I believe Till's the one that Whoopi Goldberg produced, right? And I know she was getting she was uh, quite, quite angry. Uh, correct. Till yeah, was a Whoopi was Goldberg not, joint. Yeah, she was not happy about it, and I'm on her side. <laughs> yeah, that seems like that seemed like an easy lift for the Academy, but um, I guess not. All right, best actor, uh, Austin Butler uh, for Elvis, Colin Farrell as Banshees, Brendan Fraser as The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, who we just mentioned, and then uh, another dark horse, Bill Nye for Living, um, which hasn't even come out in a lot of places, although I do know it is coming to the bookshelf this weekend if uh, you want to see um, what uh, all the fuss of Living is about, um, and I might check that out myself. But uh, any thoughts about best actor? Uh, for, oh, well, for me, I really do think it should be Austin Butler. I, um, mm -hmm. I, uh, since our last episode, I have seen, uh, the Banshees of Inisherin, and mm -hmm. I did think it was great. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought Colin Farrell was at standout, but still no comparison to Austin, but, uh, Butler as, as Elvis. It's, uh, yeah, I already said it, but it wasn't, he wasn't betraying Elvis like he was, he was mm -hmm. Elvis. And, um, like, uh, we need to keep in mind that, like, he, it was except for the end when it's older elvis presley mm -hmm. um it's his voice right that's something mm -hmm. you got to keep in mind that's 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 impressive stuff right there well he demonstrated uh, for everybody at the golden globes he, he did his acceptance as in with using the elvis voice yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah it's just kind of his natural voice now he doesn't even realize it but <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what it's like in dune we'll see what he's been able to overcome that that would be hilarious he shows up in dune like Apollo Treaties, how's it going? <laughs> um, 
but Have yeah, seen- so I, I would say absolutely for sure him. Uh, I thought the whale was was quite great too. It was actually better than. Uh, okay, I you thought. have seen the whale. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Roxanne Gay fan as well. Mm. Uh, so I have read her New York Times on how it kind of shames the um, heavier community. Mm. Um, it isn't very body positive. But I also have a few friends. Uh, one really close friend who deals with weight issues, uh, and whose mother deals with extreme weight issues, like the whale. Mm. Uh, and I know they really loved it, mm. um, did not view it in the same way as Roxanne Gay. So that it made me more inclined to view it. And I can see Roxanne Gay's point, but I think overall it actually does deal with uh, obesity in an okay way. I thought especially when it comes to the daughter's relationship with him. I don't even think um, it's about the obesity. I think it's just uh, it, it falls into Aronofsky's predilections to like find a great actor and torture them for two hours. Yeah, uh, or just the way that his character <laughs> deals with things, with depression, right? It's a very yeah. visible depiction of depression. It well, displays there, I, it without you even needing to say a word, right? Well, that's just it. it it's it's. It, I don't think it's about his obesity. It's 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 like a physical manifestation of, of mm-hmm. his his inner tumult, and like Brendan Fraser is is just so sweet and so tender. Um, I mean, everybody was in my theater was like bawling for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I, I would definitely still Austin Butler, but then second, I would say uh, him. Um, yeah. Colin Farrell was great, but his character wasn't really like a standout or anything. So. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm kind of he like was just like a quirky, small little Irish town kind of guy. It's also an ensemble, little... um, in in Banshees. Like, I don't know if you get his character wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah, without uh, Gleason's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, for best actress, Kate Blanchett in Tar, Anna de Armas as Blonde, Andrea Riseborough into Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. And Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. I think uh, Yeoh is the the front runner. Uh, yeah, Blanchett, very okay with that. Yeah, Blanchett's probably not too far behind. I I will say that you know, sort of in the same week, <laughs> you know, Blonde gets whammied by the Razzies. Um, Anna de Armas uh, rises to the surface and get I, I like my problem with that movie was not Anna de Armas. She um. She rises above that movie, um, and so I'm glad to see that the like the Academy was willing to like, no matter the what whatever ambivalence they might have felt about the movie, they recognized her as the talent. Yeah, this is one of the rare cases where like I actually think it's fair it was in both uh, the Oscars and the Razzies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Glenn Close film, the mm-hmm. like Ron Howard one, I forget its name. That was at Oscars and the Razzies. That was dumb. It should have just been at the Razzies. Oh, Hillbilly but, Elegy. Yeah, yeah, Hillbilly Elegy. That should not have been anywhere near the Oscars. But uh, this is one of the rarities where I think it's fair it's in both. Uh, but Anna de Armas, yeah, she's. Uh, I thought she was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, it was, I think, my, my fifth favorite film of, of the year. And I would say like 80% of the reason because of her. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, though, Kate Blanchett for Tar. Um Tar was, yeah, it was it was outstanding. Uh, I I found it very interesting that the it was a good film, but uh, it was her. It was it was for me. It was it was because of her and her performance. So mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, the Tar individual deserved best director. Mm-hmm. Um, if he if they got it, then 
I do think Baz Luhrmann should have should have got it as well. I uh, I don't know. Um, I I think I guess what I need to keep in mind is that the director also would have been behind the uh, audio of Tar, which was very very well done. So well, yeah. I mean the the, the Tar Tar as a movie is uh, a little bit more complicated than just the the great central performance of. Kate Blanchett, but um, she makes that work because the character is so deeply complicated. Um, yeah, I would so, also recommend, uh, weirdly, because it, not visually, but uh, I would recommend seeing theaters just because of the audio audio role. It's always best in the big, uh, mm-hmm. the big screen. Mm-hmm. So if it's at uh, the bookshelf, and you yeah. twelve listeners should check it out. It still pops up, and um, I should point out that too that a lot of the nominees were back in theaters this week uh banshees and fablemans were both at i think they were at the pergola galaxy i don't i don't know if that was a weekend thing or if it's an all week long thing um and then they were playing all quiet on the western front at the the woodlawn galaxy uh so it, it, I mean, it is on netflix so it's not like it's hard to find but it, you know they were playing in theaters and um as as we sort of you know us on this show realize watching the glass onion in theaters you know they're uh just because something's on netflix doesn't mean it doesn't make a great theatrical experience exactly all right so for best supporting actor we got brendan gleason for banshees brian tyree henry for causeway if you hadn't heard of causeway it's on apple tv plus it was at the, it was actually at tiff this year and um so it's easy enough to find if you have apple tv plus i'm probably going to go back and check it out um so Judd Hirsch, as we mentioned, for the Fablemans, Barry Coogan for the Banshees of Inishirin, and uh, Kehu Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to, I think it's going to be hard to, just for the story value, um, the the great comeback story that, you know, it's it's going to be a Kehu Kwan night at the Oscars. Yes. Oh. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> I would say deserve it. Uh, Wayman. Oh, Wayman. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it was outstanding. As we were uh, discussing before, Brendan Gleeson was great, but alongside mm. Colin Farrell, um, and Judd Hirsch was outstanding, and I loved it. But not <laughs> like you said, it really did just feel like only five minutes. I, yeah, my guess would be it's the minimum amount uh, required for best supporting. So not yeah. not, not him either, because um, he already, like you said, he won a won an Oscar, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least, yeah. So he's fine. He's fine. He's won. I'm assuming Emmys. Um, he better have. Taxi was great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no. For this, um, I actually weirdly, even though it's also the Banshees of Anishran, I'd be okay if Barry Cogan uh, mm-hmm. won. His character was very unique, very fun character, uh, very distinct, and one of the very hard to do mixtures of like love and annoyance like you love him but like you get why people don't really want to hang out with him so much i think Um, i think he gets like the one really great scene where he asks um he asks pot's sister if if she wants to to get married and she turns him down he's like no i thought not there goes yeah yeah (laughs) there goes another dream (laughs) like that's like just the bittersweetness um and and sort of internal ruin of that um is is incredible um yeah but, but uh kei kwan all the way his uh what a, the physical and the the dialogue was was yeah. really great yeah um yeah that that can be hard to do with the martial arts so uh he really did, did a darn good job on it and you might be interested to know that judd hirsch has two emmys for taxi 
Oh, okay, but he didn't win? No, he has two. He got six nominations. Oh, he won, he won two. two. Oh, okay, so yeah, he no, he's, he, he's won enough awards. He's fine. He, he won one out of three. I, I really do like him, though. I'm glad he got some, uh, some noms again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad, too, because he really does... Uh, that, that is a knockout monologue. Um, for Best Supporting Actress, we've got Angela Bassett uh, for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chao for The Whale. I also would have accepted Hong Chao for The Menu, but uh, that's another yes. story. Uh, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Edishiran, and then uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Zhu for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, people have, because she won the Golden Globe, people are making this out as an Angela Bassett coronation, and I would not have a problem with that. I do, however, want to uh, make sure we give Stephanie Zhu enough respect for playing Joy in Everything Everywhere All at Once because um, she had to be a force of nature against Michelle Yeoh, who was also a force of nature, and that could not have been easy. Yes. Uh, I also, I love Angela Bassett. I thought the character is very important, but I thought Black Panther Wakanda Forever was not, uh, at least not as high the caliber critically as the first. Hmm. Like, it just doesn't feel as impactful when it comes to dealings of not just race but you know all the other points that the the first tried to get across it's more just like a basic marvel which is great like why can't Mm. the black panther film just be a regular marvel but uh also because of that like angela bass's character wasn't really grand uh in any way just like a powerful queen right Mm. literally like her character was all the other characters that the the woman kings i forget its title but the uh yeah the viola davis work that came out uh, that was called the woman king yeah yeah it was just kind of like that it was no (laughs) not more special than that at all right so Mm. i like angela bassett i think it's great she got the nom but it's for me it's too bad Mm. that the film is the marvel one i also was surprised sadie sink didn't get a nom for for best supported but, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm glad the whale did. Um, you know they were uh, great in it too, uh, Honchow. But uh, she was she was for me was the standout. I thought it was a little peculiar. But... I think because Sadie, she also, I think because Sadie Sink was doing like the angry young woman thing. I think people may have underestimated how much performance that is. Yeah, Whereas you get Hong Chow, you know, dealing with. Watching her friend die, actually more than that, watching her her brother's um, surviving partner die, mm-hmm. and um, you know the, the 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 bacchanal of emotions that 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 brings up. I think that's I think that's more of a performance with a capital P. At least maybe in, in the, the impression of the voters. I don't know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, um, before we take a break um i just wanted to throw in a note a couple of notes about the screenplay noms because you know i'm a writer <laughs> we get uh for original screenplay it's banshees everything everywhere fableman's tar and triangle status and what's interesting here is steven spielberg first ever screenwriting nomination so i wonder if maybe he has an outer track there this sort of like hey let's give spielberg a <laughs> a writing oscar with tony kushner <laughs> um and then best just to say they did yeah just yes exactly just to say they did um best adapted it's all quiet on the western uh all quiet on the western front glass onion living top gun and women talking i could see polly 
um, scoring there. I mean, assuming she doesn't have a doctor's appointment. Um, <laughs> that's a little joke to what she was doing when the Oscars were announced. Um, but I'm kind of I've kind of got two fingers crossed for for Ryan Johnson um, because uh, I don't think he's done a, a bad film, and uh, he no, definitely... not yet. Yeah, he definitely should get some. I mean, because just uh, of the the proverbial onion that the the glass onion script was in terms of how multi layered, uh, how multi layered it was, he should definitely get some love. I think from the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and just uh, Daniel Craig too being part of a uh, non James Bond film that get a uh, an Oscar <laughs> nom is good. I don't. I don't think that was ever an issue with him. Because mm-hmm. he did do a decent amount, like throughout. But you know, it's still good to see someone after such a long, strong, titular role like James Bond to do something else that's popular enough to get a Oscar nom. Yeah, it's nice that he had another franchise to fall back on. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I guess it's still a franchise, but you know. <laughs> Although I, um... I was thinking, what his Soderbergh work he did too was uh, was really great. Oh yeah, Logan real... Lucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Logan Lucky definitely undervalued. Although, uh, speaking of James Bonds and new franchises, I think Timothy Dalton is like the bad guy in that Yellowstone spinoff that Harrison Ford is in. Okay. So, you know, there is life after James Bond. For Yeah, that's true. So, uh, anyway, maybe not if you're... Oh, what's the guy who was in on Her Majesty's Secret Service? I Damn. do not watch Yellowstone. I'm no. a Yellowknife guy, not Yellowstone. <laughs> Oh no, Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jacket. <laughs> Yellow Knife's cool though, as a Canadian, but <laughs> All right. Uh we're gonna take a quick break and then Some we're going to <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about our new friend to the end, Megan. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Go back to being plastic. No one ever listens. This wallpaper glistens. One day they'll see what goes down in the kitchen. Places, places, gather your places. Throw on your dress and put on your tall faces. Everyone thinks that we're perfect. Please don't let them look through the curtains. Picture, picture, smile for the picture. Pose with your brother, won't you be a good sister? Everyone thinks that we're perfect. Please don't let them look through the curtains. D O L L H O U S E. I see things that nobody else sees. You're just a stupid rubber doll, fake hair. <laughs> Let go! You need to learn some manners, Brandon. You know what happens to bad boys that don't mind their manners? They grow up to be bad men. Are you listening to me, Brandon? Megan? This is the part where you run. Okay, that was a clip from Megan, or M3 Gan. It is the new film from Jared Johnstone, and it stars Allison Williams, Violet McGraw, Ronnie Chang, and Amy Donald and Gemma Davis as the body and voice, respectively, as Megan. And uh, 
for those of you who may be interested in what the three means, like Peter, uh, it is right there in the movie. Uh, Megan stands for Model 3 Generation Android. So yeah. there. <laughs> but um, uh, produced by Blumhouse, a uh, great uh, production company that kind of specializes in these horror movies. Story by James Wan, that James Wan. So this had some pretty big shoes to fill, but I'm curious, Peter, what made you want to make friends with Megan? Oh, well, I uh, just personally, I had a lot of friends who saw it and liked it. <laughs> um, and it's just always fun when you don't expect something to be good and then it gets all the <laughs> rave reviews. Uh, so yeah, it was mainly that. Mm-hmm. I, there was no, it's not like, the plot or anything was not a standout for me. Just, you know, I wanted to start getting into the 2023 culture vibes. You know, I wanted to start that, get that mm-hmm. going. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's a lot. 94 lot of percentage for it. <laughs> I honestly, I, I like, I'm curious if it's like kind of how they do with TV. Like if it's a teen drama, there's different reviewers. Like, mm. is it different reviewers for Megan? You know, like, I don't know. Rev- yeah, it's, that's what I'm curious about. I don't like know. River- I, I... Like Riverdale shows, right? That's got like like a high 90 on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's because it's it's different TV reviewers doing it. So I am curious for certain horrors if, if that's the case. Uh, I kind of I kind of hope so regarding this film. But uh... well, I mean, the, the person who, re- who reviewed it for Variety was Owen Gleiberman, who has like been a, a film critic for years and years. He was at ew for 25 years yeah that's why i i really do think it's just regular critics so i guess i'm just kind of uh i mean it could be i mean it it could be just like sort of taking this as it is a different mindset yeah yeah like could do that yeah it's it's not high art but it is a lot of fun and it it, there there is a, a sort of appreciation for its own absurdity um although i think I'm, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that it works because the whole conceit of the movie is that in two months they go from uh, having the initial success of of like turning Megan on and she works. And then in two months later, they're like at a product launch. I'm I'm not sure in reality that is the kind of timeline you want for a walking, talking android that children interact with. Um, yeah, do you, you think like it was um, <laughs> that part was played out too quickly? You think it maybe should have been spread out over like a couple years? I don't know. That's like kind of like the one bit of like reality that, that it was like that one splinter of reality that was like nagging me in watching this. It's just like it seems a little absurd that two months later they're ready to sell this to kids across the world. Oh, yeah, um, no, exactly. <laughs> it was the, a, a very interesting flow over mm-hmm. there, over mm-hmm. to the. Uh, yeah, next part of the film. <clears throat> and yeah. it, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was for me, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I would understand the positive critical reception more if it was anything special. Mm. But like, it's the kind of plot with a anthropomorphic robot that has already been, it's so existent, right? Like, it, it turns mm-hmm. evil. It's honestly, it's like, it might as well be I <gasps> does she t- Does she turn <laughs> evil though? Or is yeah, she just fulfilling she her evil. programming? No, I would say no. She's evil. She's <laughs> evil for sure. No, because she should know that she's like manipulated the the little girl, or at least not 
letting the little girl be herself. I think that's what's evil about her. Megan just keeps hanging out with her and is okay with the uh, young girl having just Megan as her life focus. So but it's, I think it's, just for that sense. No, it's, no. It's not just Megan. about like, <laughs> but it's not like Annabelle, right? Where, you know, you, as soon as you let Annabelle out of the box, she starts messing with your head. Um, no. And, and the people oh. Megan kills kind of deserve it, I guess. <laughs> like the little dude, the, the, we, we have <laughs> no idea what his home life was like though. You know, like we, we don't know anything about that. So he could you know, have was... reasoning for being a bit of a, a jerk. You're not wrong. Um, it, it did amaze me how um, how Simpsons influenced this. This was kind of, um, and maybe I've seen too many Simpsons and watched certain episodes too many times. But the whole like the whole um, perpetual pet thing that is like the initial project that uh, the Allison Williams character developed. It, it looked like a lot of people are comparing it to a Furby, but to me, it looks like a Funzo, which was the Simpsons ripoff of the Furby. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah i had more fun in my mind too yeah and then the the kid at the camp um reminded me of the the kid in the simpsons who's always yelling at his mom who's always telling his mom to shut up um oh yeah right right so yeah i wonder if megan exists without the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> i mean it probably maybe it does but it's just like those two things are like very simpsons influence the other thing i, I found influencing about it was um the 90s, like the 80s and 90s, you could watch a horror movie with kids and kids are like put in danger and no one in movie seems to want to comment on that fact. Like There's a whole thing in Child's Play, the first Child's Play, where Andy's like wandering around the south side, south side of Chicago with Chucky looking for the people who killed, you know, the, the human form of Chucky. Um and, you know, here's this kid just wandering around, you know, uh, dilapidated neighborhoods and nobody says anything. And I'm like, hey, little boy, are you lost? Um, <laughs> and and there, there's a sense of that, too, in in Megan, uh, especially with I mean, there's the scene where the, the little girl, Katie, gets mauled. Her arm gets mauled by a dog, which is kind, which I found kind of upsetting. And then the whole thing with Brandon later where um, Megan essentially jumps him. And then, and then runs him down. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. She does. She straight up jumps him. It's gangster yeah, yeah. style. It's, <laughs> and uh, he gets... Uh, and again, this is a PG-13 movie. And I, I, I've heard some people complain about, like, they wish it was gorier. I, I kind of don't. No, um, honestly, my my main... Because, uh, like, I, I clearly I didn't love this film, I think, as much as you. But uh, I was very... I was okay with that. I, I was okay with that. I thought it... Uh, because a lot of the times, and it's the case for this, they realize they got to work harder on the non-gory displays of mm-hmm. uh, the horror or the sci-fi uh, mm-hmm. action. And I think mm-hmm. it did a really great job in those regards. Yeah, the photography overall was really great. It, it gave me the same kind of vibes as uh, you know Arrival or some really well um, visualized sci-fi uh, or Ex Machina, something like that. You know. Yeah, I don't know the person who did the cinematography for this, but yeah, it is well shot. Um, yeah, in particular, I wouldn't even say cinematography. I would say the set design. I, I I thought the set design of the of the labs were were very well done. Shot, and I think it's shot in New Zealand too. So it's um, kind of interesting that uh, there's a, there's a kind of real Americana vibe in the 
in the setting. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's, it's, you know, New Zealand, we go to New Zealand to evoke American. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it is very well shot. And I, I do appreciate the sort of the PG 13, uh, forcing kind of like a, a less violent or at least a less gory, um, kind of, uh, look to the film i i think it is kind of worse that we <laughs> it's kind of worse in your imagination that we don't see the full extent of like the violence megan is capable of um although yeah uh, it is... also it made it so there was uh, a lot of really great dialogue uh during her killings the one elevator mm-hmm. scene is uh i like what what she says to the uh oh i won't spoil anything but it, she's got some really great megan's got some good lines in that elevator that's that is so true when when she confronts the guy in the elevator mm-hmm. and she like goes all like criminal mastermind on him it's like oh no no i didn't kill him i'm framing you for killing him and then you know uh credit create you know giving myself plausible deniability by making it look like you killed yourself and it's like wow megan's a criminal mastermind great <laughs> yeah <laughs> But that whole What's sequence that? is great. That whole sequence is great. Um, Ronnie. Oh, Chen- and the shot after too of just yeah. like the uh, when she leaves the elevator and you see it's inside. <laughs> and but what before that though, when uh, Ronnie Chang's walking down the hallway and he sees her and she does the little dance and then she yanks the knife off the paper cutting board and his reaction mm-hmm. um, is I'm Ronnie Chang. Um, is, he was so, funny in it. He was very he's so funny. he's so good. He's so good, good. at being a, a jerk, a bad boss. <laughs> he is <Selfish>. the <laughs> he is the ultimate bad boss in this, and I was here for it. Uh, yeah, so Ronnie, uh, Ronnie was great. Yeah, no, there, there's. I, I really appreciate the tone, and I, I think there was some calibration. From what I understand, there was kind of there is kind of a gorier version of the film, but I think they did calibrate after the success of sort of like the viral marketing campaign. It's like, let's make this a thing where we can bring everybody in. and it worked. And like, sometimes you do that oh, yeah. and it just feels like you're diluting the film. But I think what makes this film work is kind of that creating that kind of like group experience um, where everybody can come in and sort of be on the same level where you can be like a teen or even like a, a younger teen, like 12, 13 and, um, or, or someone old like me and, you know, still get all, still get all the jokes and, and, and can still like, you know, get your, you get the goonies in and, you know, uh, you still like enjoy some of the, the violence. I mean, death by power washer. Uh, I, that's, that seems like something we've been missing. That seems like an obvious thing that's just been waiting for someone to do in a horror movie. Um, and we finally get it in Megan. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> been waiting decades, and we got it. I mean, it didn't look great. That's by Power Washer. Yeah, but it's the first time, right? <laughs> first step. I don't want to look. Die. It'll look great in uh, Megan 2.0. I I don't want to die by Power Washer is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Megan 2.0. I do wonder. Uh, I mean, it, there is obviously a sequel set up. Interestingly, as you said. Um, th- this ends the same way. The-, the ending of Megan is the same ending as the the Child's Play remake in 2019. Yeah, so you know what? I think what needs to be kept in mind, because like the comments I've been making of how it's similar to so much, 
Mm. Maybe that's on purpose, right? Because there's mm. some slight comedy elements in it as well, and that that's, yeah. that's definitely a part of it. Um, so again, like I don't think it deserves the like huge critical acclaim, but it is a solid, fun uh, sci-fi for sure. It's, 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 and I would say it is better when it comes to the structure and the dialogue and the visuals, better than like the majority of of horrors that get pushed out. Yeah, and and I think one of the things you're getting at there too is like the casting like having Allison Williams as the aunt and for for people who may not know the 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 film is set up that Katie is this little girl I think she's 11 or 12 and her parents die in an automobile accident and uh so she goes to live with her aunt Gemma played by Allison Williams and Gemma is this engineer who's working for the toy company and creates Megan and has created all these other things but Gemma um I, f- I feel casting Allison El- Williams is kind of an, an explicit choice because they're kind of like tapping into her, um, her like filmography, like all those years where she- what was her character on Girls? Was it Marnie? Yeah, that- yeah, the rich, uh, more yeah. rich kind of waspy one. Yeah, so like there's there's definitely Marnie vibe to Gemma that I think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to really truly love. Uh, Gemma and uh I think what well like I still like her I get it she's she's not bad to her uh her niece um but it makes it so because you were talking about this and kind of holding this mindset it makes you do question whether like is Megan like that bad like (laughs) maybe Katie and Megan are you know on the the good side uh so I thought I thought that was purposeful with Gemma and I thought Allison Williams yeah did it great um she it reminded me a lot too of her get out character someone who's always got a smile and trying to be nice but you could see inside that they've they you know have nothing yeah 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 there's somebody like you're kind of rooting for her because they're like they're the human characters and you know megan's gonna break bad eventually too but you know there is kind of that like let the right one in vibe where let the yeah. right one in ends with um the boy running away with the vampire and you're like that makes total and complete sense why wouldn't he um <laughs> <laughs> but uh in this you know because you know you're you're intrinsically supposed to root for the human characters and not for the killer robot character um you keep hoping that Gemma pulls it out. And then she says something like, Hey, I have to work for a couple hours. Is it okay if you hold down the fort? And it's like, well, this little girl's parents just died right in front of her. So maybe she's not in the right place to hold down the fort as you're working. Yeah. You could tell Gemma, <laughs> she's the kind of person too that like never had any care about kids, wanted kids. It's just not aware. Of and Megan makes that the point later around that, what you're supposed to do. And Megan makes that point later. Yeah, when, like yeah. Megan says to her, like your career is your kid. Well, that Megan so incisive. Um, but no, yeah, it's <laughs> and then, and then for the demonstration later when like after first of all there are multiple levels of this. First of all, in the mauling scene where the dog mauls uh, Katie's arm after he tr- maul, essentially mauls Megan, um, she's wearing noise canceling headphones while inside while Katie's playing outside. It's like I don't know, like have you never watched like adventures in babysitting or anything it's you know that you're 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 looking after this child at home wearing noise canceling headphones while they're outside i mean have you never seen stranger danger i mean whatever but after that the kid gets her arm mauled and she's like well we have that product demonstration today do you think you can like go in and help your aunt Gemma sell some dollies to the board of directors. It's totally okay if you can't, but it would really help me out if you could like get her, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, she would pull that card a lot. Like, Oh, it's totally it's, okay yeah. if you don't do this, yes. but yes. everybody will be super depressed for the rest of their life. 
it'll destroy the world. But that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's like purposeful for Gemma. And that's again, I, I think Allison Williams was a great uh, choice for her. Yeah, I, I, I like her a lot. And I, I thought uh, Violet McGraw, who played Katie, was good, too. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, th- there are multiple. Th- and I, I do want to highlight, too, um, Amy Donald, who was the... I, I guess they used a Megan puppet if she's like sitting at a table. But if Megan had to move around and stuff, uh, that was when Amy Donald came in. And uh, yeah, like the the motion, like the, the, the sound effects for Megan too, I thought were really good. Though. It kind of reminded me of RoboCop. There's a lot of RoboCop in this too, for some reason. Well, maybe yeah, not for exactly. some reason. It was but... like a, yeah, like a remaster of it. <laughs> yeah. So like, the the way Megan moved in a way it was like kind of human but also kind of robotic. I I you know I think she she should get a lot of credit for um for that performance. And then the, the Jenna Davis voice of Megan that is sound that is like reassuring, but also kind of snooty and kind of <laughs> kind of like holier than thou. Um, I I like that a lot too. Yeah. Um, but. I honestly like. I just thought maybe it was robot made, so that's that's very impressive that it was, uh, yeah, a real real humans vocals there with mm-hmm. the good uh, post production of it. And some of them, like some Mixing. of the needle, some of the needle drops were really good too. Like when Megan sings uh, "Titanium" as a lullaby. Um, oh yeah, that was so creepy. <laughs> that was so creepy, <laughs> but like also sounded good. They were doing a good job. Like it was creepy but sweet. Yeah, um, exactly. And then. Um, Later, when in the climax, when Gemma's in the house, and then she hears someone playing Toy Soldier on the piano, and it's Megan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Yeah, it was it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> the, so the, how they uh, brought in the music. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it was good, and um, I I think it, I think it shows that. Uh. Gerard Johnstone who let me look up what he what else he's done he's done some TV and this is kind of like his first big movie he did a house movie called Housebound in 2014 he's a New Zealand director so like chances are oh, Megan's, okay. Megan's yeah. like the first introduction um to the west to, well to well yeah to, to a, our the side west. yeah um west side so I mean, I mean, it's 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 a very good calling card. Uh, twelve billion dollar or twelve billion, twelve million dollar budget, over ten times the amount. Yeah, one thirty four million. One, yeah. So yes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is an unmitigated success. Um, I do wonder because I, you know, it very clearly sets it up for a sequel. Um, in a, in a couple of different places, um, I do wonder if they can keep the tone up, and I I think. What what I'm wondering is if, if this is going to be like light lightning in a bottle where we get Megan 2.0 or whatever it ends up being, and we, we got we got all like super excited about it, and then it's it's just complete sort of audience, I don't know disappointment. Yeah, like, yeah, and it could impact our viewing, uh, you know, rewatching of the the first Megan. No, I I worry about that too. Yeah, because it's nothing super special about it, as I've been saying, but. <laughs> <laughs> the structure, like the writing, everything. It's as great as just kind of a basic film could be. Like it's, mm. it's a remarkable film. And its plot does have some interesting things, but it is 
at the end of the day, it's been done with, you know, X Machina, iRobot, and an extensive amount of, you know, 50s, 60s films that, you know, a film person would be laughing at me for not, you know, knowing <laughs> off the top of my head, right? Um, so for Chucky. me, I think, yeah, Chucky. And for me, that's why uh, I, I do think we'll find out with the second one uh, hmm. whether or not Megan's memories will, will last. But uh, I would say if you're listening to this in 2023, uh then yeah give it give it a watch uh yeah no i i think i i i think you could probably hold on to the specialness even if they you know crap the proverbial bed with uh a part two i i think i think great acting again yeah it's i i think it comes together and it's i i think one of the things we sort of learn in the movies especially in this area era of like sort of ip driving everything is it's hard to catch that lightning in a bottle and they caught it this time and whether or not they can replicate it is a different question entirely i think just it's it's interesting that how megan and you make a good point sort of referencing all these other things that uh has is doing the same thing that megan is doing and has perhaps done it better um but there is an interesting alchemy right now that this sort of is speaking to people and um in a very direct way, you know, people are, are, um, grooving on this, you know, creepy Android doll movie. Um, and uh, blissfully hundred minutes. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, that was pretty, that was amazing. <laughs> brisk. I like it. Um, and yeah, th- there's and the other thing I'll, I'll note about this too, to wrap up. It's a horror movie that embraces technology. And what we see nowadays is that horror movies tend to run away from technology. Like something like Black Phone, which takes place in like 1979, 1980 or something. I can't remember because, you know, they obviously don't want to deal with tech um, <laughs> because tech is is creates um, problems that the, a pl- the plot can't solve. Oh, there's um, also probably a lot of um, <clears throat> the people that aren't dealing with it might... Uh have their production companies or, you know, other people that they have helped them with the audio engineering and stuff, not want them to talk negatively about the, you know, rise yeah. of, of technology and artificial intelligence. Like Sony's probably got some robot things <laughs> they're working on behind the scenes. So they're not going to want Morbius to, to jab, you know, AI technology or whatever. Everybody's got AI behind the scenes now. I think that's the point, but uh, we'll have to talk about that on our, on our new tech show. Because uh, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for end credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where can people find you out there on the internet this week? As per usual, Mr. Tarak on YouTube and Twitter. All right. All right. And I will be back here tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scott Hertz. We took the week off uh, because of uh, CFRU birthday programming, and I deeply apologize, but we're back this week. And then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or go to guelphpolitico.ca. 
And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And we shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits. And we will see you then. <laughs>